Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. My name is Adam Listuck, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. So I want to say sorry for being off for about two weeks there. I was in the middle of traveling and moving, so as you can imagine, that took quite a bit of time out. But it's good to be back and a good chance to kind of catch up on everything happening out there. So I did want to kind of jump into some news, um, two smaller things and one more important one, but uh, of interest, I thought. So Firefox 61 was released, and it's the latest version of Firefox based on the new Quantum rendering engine, and this was released late in June. So it included some faster page rendering, uh, native TLS 1.3 support, and a bunch of security fixes. But bigger news for developers is that the Accessibility Inspector was released, and that helps in finding the structure and how a screen reader may navigate your site. Additionally, CSS variables now autocomplete with the color swatches, so that's pretty handy, kind of at a glance, see what the computed color is. And also what I thought was really great, and I'm, I'm wondering if Chrome has the same, though I need to look, is they now have a cache tab, which indicates information on how cached or previously cached resources are loaded. So it's kind of a ton of help for troubleshooting some things like why is my image not updating or that type of thing. And finally, there's now a throttling dropdown to emulate different network conditions, much like Chrome has, though this was also previously available in the responsive mode, but they just kind of made it more universally uh, available. So I've talked about this other product before. Uh, It's called Gravit Designer. And this was actually acquired by Coral. Uh, Coral acquired the Gravit family of products. They announced this in June. And it's a big deal for them. Uh, I hadn't heard too much from the uh, company itself recently. They did do a big update, kind of talked about the potential for being acquired by someone and the future of the product. But it does explain why they're being tight-lipped and why it wasn't clear what the direction of the product is. But According to the post, they're bringing the entire Gravit team over and committing to working on the product long term, which includes keeping the core of it free. Now, there may be paid add-ons, but at least the core product will remain free. So I've really enjoyed using it. I think it's a um, quick and easy tool for many uh, of the types of things I need to do. Uh, There's definitely some shortcomings that I'm hoping get addressed as they kind of flesh out more of the tools you can use. But it's a pretty quick and easy one to kind of quickly prototype and do that in a more uh, Photoshop type sense of which I'm used to rather than some of the other tools such as um, like Figma or Sketch or that kind of stuff. So jumping into some links and resources, uh, stuff that has come out or I found useful. um, Visual Studio Code, uh, it's kind of my editor of choice and they do monthly updates. So they just came out with a June update, which is version 1.25. It's got three features that I really thought are awesome and I've been very excited for. Uh, The first one is the grid editor layout. So this is one I'm most excited about, which is where you can drag and drop files onto the uh, editor window and create a new split pane. Or if you've got an existing split pane, you can just drag in there and it will create kind of a sub-split pane. <laughs> it just makes creating those layouts super easy and intuitive and 
if you're in the habit of comparing files or working on multiple things at the same time, it works really well for that. They've also added a portable mode in. So it's another feature that I've been waiting for, which is the ability to not actually install VS Code. It allows you to keep all of those extensions and settings in the same directory as a code editor, and therefore you can kind of take it with you, and it doesn't require admin installation privileges, which if you have to live in a more corporate type environment or more restricted environment, uh, definitely makes life a lot easier. They've also had an outline view, and it's kind of their first shot at it. They've said that they would like more ideas on how better to do this, but it allows you to navigate via a symbol tree outline. So you can kind of help walk down the code in a different way than, say, using the minimap. It allows you to jump to certain sections really quickly. They've also added in preview uh, the settings editor. So they've been working on an updated view of the settings uh, instead of kind of that just a JSON list of um, uh, settings and their values, but it's a more traditional interface. But I, I'm interested in it mostly because it gives you more information on what the actual settings do and what makes sense for them. It's still in preview, but definitely worth checking out, though. Two other little tools that I found, uh, a mobile detect. So there is this PHP library for mobile detection. Uh, it's server-side, which usually, you know, you might be thinking client-side and what to do with that, but... Uh, every once in a while, I have a need to do uh, server-side mobile detection. And this is an up-to-date and appears to be very regularly updated uh, server-side library for this. It uses a combination of user agent strings and specific HTTP headers to detect what the mobile environment is. So, of course, the common complaint or note about this is that user agent strings are changeable, and it's not 100% reliable, of which I completely agree. But for most projects, in most cases, this is fine. I also do tend to take the view that if you are modifying user agent strings, then you can't necessarily expect reliable behavior anyways if you're the one doing it and browsing the web. One of the other cool features about this is it's been ported to a ton of different platforms and setups. Uh, there's a bunch of different WordPress plugins that use this. Um, even Lua, which is the language that you can use uh, within Nginx uh, uh, web server, you can do server-side detection within the actual um, you know, web server itself and direct to an appropriate like backend or something, which is pretty cool. They've also got like Laravel, Magento, uh, Slim for API, uh, a bunch of different platforms. It's pretty cool. So if you have need of that, uh, links will be in the description, but pretty, pretty neat uh, you know, possibility if you need that kind of thing. Another thing I found, uh, which is pretty cool, uh, they've had a lot of these over the years, but uh, one called Frappe Data Table. And it's really just a JavaScript-based data table. It's got a pretty simple configuration, but a lot of features, such as you know inline editing, keyboard navigation. You can reorder, sort, remove, hide, resize columns. Uh, and they've also got inline filters, dynamic row height, row selection, and a bunch of others. But it's just a nice looking and seems to be very functional uh, data table that you can use and plug in on your site if you need it. Uh, if you have this kind of requirement, especially display data, and you want to be able to give a little bit more control, 
over to you know the person using the site or to the back end that you might be integrating this with it's definitely a solid choice to look at uh, so check it out and so finally i want to talk about uh, something that's kind of come up recently especially with the uh, proliferation of new voice type technologies and that's how does voice user interaction and traditional websites kind of go together so i own a google home and i generally follow and or try most new automation type technologies and one of the current trends is definitely towards smart assistants or really just interacting with your voice and different interfaces be it that assistant or something else so what I've been curious about is how might this affect web design and user experiences for you know, websites, especially traditional websites? So the first thought I have is around the current state of web design and how it might actually be used. So most sites that I design and work with are for small businesses that just want to get information and limited marketing out there. The thought of opening up your desktop or mobile browser and navigating to the site and then somehow using your voice to interact with it seems unlikely and far more cumbersome than a typical way used to look and or interact with it. Where it does seem like it make, might make a lot of sense is in the arena of accessibility, or if you need to interact with the page and you don't have your hands fully free. Even so, the time it can take for a phone to get to the point of being able to interact with the site could be far longer than it should be to make the experience seamless and quick. You know, my phone, for example, is kind of on the lower end, and just to pull up a Google Assistant prompt, take a moment, you know, and it, this can be frustrating. And that's a quick and easy way to turn off potential uses of this, and not everyone can be expected to have the patience and or device to really support this well. So where I do think that this experience makes sense is if you're using it via assistance or in conversations to find a service or place to go. You know, the natural evolution of all this has been thinking of like the Google duplex type of idea that has uh, was debuted not too long ago, where it's a voice assistant that interacts on your behalf. So you could say, hey, I want to book a reservation at this place. Can you make that for me? It actually calls the business and talks with the person on the other end, which then sets up a time and it's got enough smarts and um, natural language ability to carry through that conversation. But that's really, it's almost like having your own personal assistant to help you. In the sense that a traditional site allows you to interact with your voice, it just doesn't seem terribly practical yet. But what does make a lot of sense is for your site to surface a type of information and metadata that allows services like Google Maps to create the proper listings for their automation assistance to interact with your business and site. So if you're enabling those ecosystems while even maintaining the more traditional type of site that will let you list the critical information they need, like phone numbers, locations, upcoming events, and news, then I think it's a good way to balance, balance both needs there. And, you know, a lot of this interaction is done via, um, you know, that the schema.org stuff. And uh, if you're doing that JSON-LD kind of metadata that's embedded, some plugins do it for you. Sometimes it makes a lot more sense to it yourself. How does that update when you update your more traditional site? All things you need to consider. But 
if you can kind of tie those two together, then it, it really does make a lot of sense, and then you can have best of both worlds. I have no doubt that there are a lot of new mediums and ways to interact coming, but really all of it is just to make it as easy for the customer to find the information they need and get the products or services they want. I mean, if your business, you probably don't really care all that much as long as you're somehow driving people to your business for whatever they might need. So if a voice input helps that, great. But if not, then there should be no real need or want to implement that just because. But no matter what, keeping up on how folks interact with their devices and sites will really inform the next generation and how they can be used. So follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.